Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. <laughs> I get, I get to have another friend of mine on the podcast this week. Um, I'm jamming them all in right before my text starts, and then we'll go back to Stacy's friends. Um, but this week we get to have on again Tlaloc Lopez Waterman, who, for those of you who listen regularly, was with us a number of weeks ago when we did the interview with the Opera Columbus team of Madam Butterfly. He's a lighting designer. Uh, we've also had his wife on recently, Danielle, who is a stage manager that I work with. So I met T, oh, I should have looked this date up. I can't remember. It was probably only like five years ago because it was when I was working with Danielle and he was actually helping us figure out the Bohem set because he had worked on the Bohem set. So I kind of met him through Danielle before I actually met him in person. And then him and I did Cozy together at Opera Naples and I brought him to TCO to do the show with Kara, who again was on the podcast and we talked about, and that was Glory Denied, right T? That was Glory Denied, yeah. And before that though, I came to see a show one time and there was really a a huge need for some right i forgot you were backstage with me during hansel and gretel yes we lost our our dry ice operator for like one show and danielle's like it's not a problem t will be here he'll run the show and i was like don't you think t wants to see the show she was like nope he'll sit backstage i was like have you talked to t about this i forgot that so we sat backstage left and t did the dry ice and i like pushed the scenery on and off stage at tco's hansel and gretel and it was about that time, I think, that you and I started talking about Glory Denied, because we were talking about, like, projections and lighting yes. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently in October, T and I did the scenes from Frankenstein and uh, Telltale Heart at uh, with Angel Share at the Catacombs. So we've done quite a few shows together, and I really I, enjoy working with them. We may get to join each other again at the cemetery, but I'm still I, working that out. Yes, so. I saw... Uh, <laughs> Andrew emailed me about that two days ago, and he gave me names, and I was like, yes! Yeah, totally so I this. called him today, and we were just sort of like, I was like, I, Danielle's graduating right then, so that's important. And That's, uh, <laughs> that's important. So, yeah, so we're going to we'll work that out, but I, I'm hoping that I'll be hanging out with you guys again on that one. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Yay! More shows <laughs> together! So that's that's why we have T. So he's a lighting designer. You dumb. You're mostly in opera, correct? Or I've, all opera? Uh, I've, I've done a lot of opera um, over over the course of my career, and a huge amount of it. Um, I've started to do a little bit of music, musical theater here and there, and I I love working on straight plays as well. I just have been in this other niche, um, and it sort of started. Uh, Pretty early on, when I was an undergrad, I had this interest into in going into opera, even before I really liked it musically. And, <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I thought, oh, this isn't this. This is that you can do with these big things and these big sets, and you know, sort of like I don't know. I think the the, the term I always used in my head was broad strokes, but it's also very detailed. But because I don't want people to think I think it's just broad strokes, but. <laughs> But like, you know, it's like these big um, emotional 
images that that you can work with in in opera and that part i gravitated towards i had kind of i had always listened to a lot of um, um, classical music at home because my parents listened to classical music but i didn't really know much about it to, you know now that i look back at myself i probably thought i did <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like and, I still don't know opera very well, though I'm getting to know <laughs> Bel Canto really well. That's about it. And um, so I, uh, that's what brought me to doing my internship in Berlin. Um, in my third year, I think my third year at uh, Cornish College of the Arts while I was an undergrad. And I, <clears throat> I knew that we had to do, we had to do an internship. And I saw that every a lot of people were doing internships around town, um, and I kind of wanted to like do something that no one else had done. So I asked my mom while she was traveling in Germany. I'm part German, so I speak German. So I asked her to ask around in Berlin when she was there if there was any internships that I could become involved with. So she checked in with uh, Deutsche Oper Berlin and um, Staatsoper Unter den Linden, which are the two two of the opera companies in Berlin. And they both said, oh yeah, just, you know, fill up this, these forms and then you can be a, an intern here. It's, you know, it's, it's easy. Wow. And, um, if I knew it was that easy, <laughs> I would have done that. Yeah. That would have been um, nice. Well, it was like, it, I mean, I should say, I shouldn't say easy. It was an application. Mm -hmm. um, and it was actually fairly interesting, the application process, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But I chose, I ended up choosing Deutsche Ova Berlin um probably without enough research but I'm, I'm happy i'm happy with my choice um, good good just because i was like oh it seems like it's a little newer uh, because it, as i'll explain in a second the reason that there are so many opera companies in berlin is because as the um as the allies separated out germany and separated you know separate after after world war ii and then the Russians um, began to sort of lock in their section. Berlin was sitting within East Germany and West Berlin was a little island of, of, of West Berlin, I'm sorry, West Germany within East Germany. Mm -hmm. And they ended up with the two opera companies. <laughs> and I think, I think Komischofa was, in, was in, in the East. I don't know that for sure. But they ended up with with the big opera company, and so then in '61, I believe, they built Deutsche Berlin in the west side, in the west side of Berlin. And so when I looked at it and said, hmm. "Oh, it's newer," I was that I, you know, I didn't think about the fact that it might not be the bigger of the two. They are kind of equal in well, they were kind of equal in size and in production, but. Um, and I'm really happy with the one with with the experience that I ended up with, but I was like I probably could have understood all of that better. And so, um, they said, "Oh, we don't have a summer, we don't have a summer time where where much happens. So, uh, can you come for a season or half of a season?" So then I went back to Cornish College of the Arts, and I was like, "I got this opportunity, but I, I've got to sort of stop." <laughs> My, Stop taking classes. Schoolwork, and they're like, "What opportunity?" And I told them, and they said, "Oh, you should, you should go do that." And so they helped me have a full time 
amount of credits, like a semester worth of minimum amount of credits and still be a full-time student, only going towards that internship, which was amazing. That's uh, really awesome. Yeah. What, what school was that? And I, Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle. Nice. And, um, and, um, and, and I, I promised them that I would do, you know, the best work that I could out on the, what we call, I think the, the internship book where you pull together information as you're, as you're experiencing stuff so that you can turn that in, you know, at the end of the time. Did you turn so it my, in all in German? Some of it was in German. But... <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> like, here's all of my work. You can't understand any of it, but. <laughs> um, but my dad gave me a really good piece of advice. He said it was before iPads and iPhones and all that, obviously, because it was in 99. And, um, and so he said, make a form that is very simple that you can write down every time you encounter something you've never encountered before. Hmm. And and there was a little spot for sketching and and a little spot to um, uh, you know write a description, and I had a camera and I would like walk around with these weird forms and fill out like whenever I saw something that seemed different and weird to me, I would say oh what is that and how does that work and I'd write down write it out and um, like just inside well, the theater or in Germany as a whole. No, this was this was specifically about my time in your, work. Okay. Yeah. That is super cool of your dad though. That is such a great idea. Yeah, it was it was really smart. It was a very stage managerly thing for him to film <laughs> <me do. laughs> Yeah. Are, are your parents in the theater arts world? No, they're not. Well, that's not entirely true. My dad um is a psychotherapist at, who works with worked over the years with many actors and actresses and directors, but mostly in the film industry huh. and not in the theater industry. So, um, but, um, and so I, I entered this world, <laughs> you know, I, I had never been in, in a theater this big and I had never been in a theater with all this automation. There was, um, 50% of the line sets were motorized. There were um, elevator, you know, the, the whole stage floor was elevators all the way back. That's so awesome. There was complete side stages so that you could build the sets ahead of time and roll, and then roll, roll the uh, platforms out. Mm -hmm. uh, and upstage, there was a turntable that can come all the way downstage to the front edge of the, uh, of the stage and then all the way upstage. And, wow. um, and I, I sort of like was just blown away when I came in and I, I'm not entirely sure why this happened, but they wouldn't let me go into lighting the first four days. Um, they're like, you're going to work with, you're going to work with the uh, scenic, pe scenic people for four days. And I, um, uh, so I worked with them and, and I learned how they walked around 20, 20 or 25 or 30 foot walls with four guys. I was like, how's that going to happen? Yeah. <clears throat> and they just had this method of like pushing and pulling and you just had to do it right. You had to do it that way every time. And it and, worked. And it worked. And, wow. and it, um, then you just moved them around. And because each night was a new opera and the mm -hmm. opera, the operas were, um, uh, it was sort of a little bit more the model of, um, 
of the Met. You know, it was it was a rep kind of situation, and they would they would premiere two to three shows a year. I think it was two shows a year. And as I came in, they were premiering Moses and Aaron, uh, <laughs> which is twelve tone music and super hard. And they were doing a lot of a lot of rehearsal with the orchestra and um, they, all kinds of stuff was going down. Like the orchestra had some payment changes and then they struck. So I was there during an orchestra <laughs> strike. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that really and, messes uh, up an opera. Yeah. And so I um, ingratiated myself pretty quickly with, with the scenic people. And then they like, sent me over to lighting and there were, there were a few of them that would just always come and check to make sure the lighting people were for, like the whole time I was there were, that I was being treated well. Um, <laughs> That's cool of them. <laughs> yeah. You're like, and, you don't, uh, we'll take them back if you're not nice to them. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I sort of told myself that I would try to be involved. I would be involved, the, you know, the whole time with the operations that the lighting department had and as much as I could. And I told myself that, I probably would make the assumption and the, you know, would, would make the wrong thought, have the wrong thought that, oh, this is not how we do it in the United States. So I, <laughs> I was really active in my mind. I remember this very clearly about not saying, well, why do you do it that way? Or, you know, until we were in a break in the break room and we could just talk. And, uh, they actually, at the end of the time, after the end of the four months, they uh, they pointed that out. That you didn't like, make a big deal about it. Yeah, they were like, "You you always waited to ask those questions till later." <laughs> you know, that's cool though. And uh, and uh, and then the, there was a big, there was a. I have to say, I learned a lot about opera opera in in Europe. I learned a lot about, um, you know, the, some of the old lighting equipment that was used because they had a bunch of low voltage lighting gear and, and stuff that I had never gotten my hands on anywhere else. So they had like the most up to date. Well, they had everything automated and all these great scenic things, but they were still using older lighting or they were using a mix of lighting. They were using a lot of older lighting. There was, huh. I, I was. I was under the impression, I don't know if I had this perfectly right um, in, in the way that I remember it or slash understood it, but they had a huge surplus of low voltage lighting. And I believe that a lot of that came from the DDR when the reunification came happened. So they just had this huge surplus and they were using a lot of those still from from these old shows that's the other thing the shows are some of them were i think 30 years old mm. in rep right so they were using these this gear now when you go back there all the gear is is new and i'll talk a little bit more about that later but like it's it's a very different set, uh, set of gear now right but they uh, designed it with that stuff and if they're still doing the shows then that equipment. yeah because unlike unlike here we have a lighting designer and um there's a, a small group of electricians that keep a show going. Mm -hmm. There was a very large team of electricians. I think we had like 32 sets of two shifts of 30 people. Wow. And, and something, something like that. And so there was so a very different mentality and each position had a group of five to six people that would 
work in the morning and then five to six people that would work in the night. And by, by each position, I mean the front of house bridge, stage left, stage right on the deck, the gallery, the booth, and the follow spot bridge. Um, oh, no, and the, sorry, the, uh, the proscenium bridge. <clears throat> and so there was all these different little teams, and they all had cards that, and they wrote down for every show, they wrote down how, the, how each light that is in their segment is focused. So as you, as you set up a new, as you set up a new show, they all go grab their cards and look at them and focus them out. And then the assistant master, assistant master lighters, I call them that because it's not really a master electrician. It's like the, the master lighter or the master uh, lighting supervisor, right? Would come through and look at the focuses and see if they were right and make a little, make a couple little adjustments. But for the most part, it was like autonomous getting a show that had already been produced up. Um, by it seems super efficient. Well, it's super inefficient because you have to pay a bunch of people. So many well, people that's true. <laughs> true, but if you're changing every day. Yeah. I mean, it is efficient in one, in one regard, but if you were tr- going to try to do that in this country, people would balk at the labor costs. Well, yeah, uh, true. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like so, as soon as you said like two sets of thirty, I'm like, yeah, I'm used to like six, maybe ten yeah. at most. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. It was exactly. a, a very, very big difference. There was often on a bigger show, there was two to three people in the booth, and they had made the console, the lighting console had been custom built, so that there were two. Of, first of all, there were two of them, but each of them had two input stations on it. So that you could at any given time have four people type typing for the show. Like you could have somebody programming something and you could also have um, uh, the electricians calling for different channels to, to bring them up and focus them. All at the same and, time. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, and so, so all of that was a bit of a theatrical culture shock for me. <laughs> um, and uh and but it was really wonderful to experience because you know I, I i i it was it was opening my mind left and right and the other thing is i was also learning about the the dynamics between people because a lot of these people some of these people had come from former ddr times and some of them had come from former or, you know, former uh, West Germany times. Mm-hmm. And then out of the people from the DDR, there were some that were nostalgic and some that were very much not because they had come over with, um, in you know, at danger to their freedom. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had come over before the wall came down. And, and so there was this really interesting tension between those that came over after the wall had already fallen and those that came over before. And, um, and so I, and so I would, there was a break room and we would, you know, essentially have drinks every night after work. And I would just talk with these people for hours to the point where, Oh, the subways aren't running anymore. So <laughs> it's time to, you know, continue to talk. And we would just, I mean, I'd watch the sun come up, you know, it was just unbelievable. It was like the, it was, it was, I'll cherish it till the day I die because I was able to understand 
some things I learned in the history books that in a way that was much more profound because it was it was the people who had lived it. You know? mm-hmm. and, and they were uh, probably excited to tell you this because they're like, hey, someone who didn't live through this and excited to hear my story. Well, they said the one reason that they were willing to talk to me is that I, I listened. Yeah, you weren't trying to so, throw in stuff all the time or up them on yeah. anything. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because I don't think it's a hundred. I mean, with, with that kind of with some of that kind of trauma, it's not always easy to talk about. It's no. not yeah. Always this, it's not always like I wish somebody would listen. Sometimes it's like I wish somebody people would stop asking. <laughs> Plus, and at that yeah, time, it was still so fresh. Yeah, I mean, the wall only yeah. came down in what, like eighty four, eighty nine. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, it was like ten years before. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was young. I was nineteen or twenty, and um, and I and about ten years earlier, my parents had taken me. About nine years earlier, my parents had taken me to Berlin and to East Germany and into Czechoslovakia. So I had seen it right as it was still right as the wall had come down, but it, the Germany hadn't been re- reunified yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I had this incredible kind of perspective for that reason too. You know that that I don't want to that that sounds so pompous to say. I had a, an incredible perspective. That's not what I meant. What I meant is I, I, I had an extra perspective because I had just a, a few years back watched essentially a year after the wall came down, you know, or just less than a, just under a year, what the, how the country looked. And so I had a sense that some others might not have. Mm-hmm. Well, even so, uh, Cindy and I country. were there in 2000 and when were we there? 2005? 2006? Yeah, 2005, I think. Yeah, and we went to Berlin, but we were only there uh, maybe four or five days. And uh, our mom went back, and she hadn't been to Berlin before, but she was visiting our sister in Germany. And she went to Berlin for the first time. And even our sister in Germany said, it has changed so much in the last 12 years that we wouldn't even recognize it. And so from the fact that you were there right as right around the time of the wall coming down, it was probably like night and day between the wall, uh, where the wall was. Yes. I remember when we stood at Checkpoint Charlie, it looked completely different. You could see the wall and you could see completely different architectural color, everything on both sides. And mom said she didn't really see that because now they've combined and Blended built it. so much that, yeah, it's huh. not so uh, definite anymore. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. It's definitely not um, as easy to, to know now. And sometimes people will make the error <laughs> that they think, oh, this is a rundown part of town. This must be the east side. But that's just not it's there's just rundown parts of town. <laughs> you know? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <No matter where laughs> you, <are. laughs> so, you can't use that as a as a designator. Um, so but it, I, I, um, I just I was able to talk with with everyone and have an incredible um sort of an exploration of this historical moment and 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 sort of this fight between the the ideals of marxism marxism and communism and the ideals of of capitalism you know and even in my myself being there as an american mm-hmm. um uh where we we would have these moments where 
it, it just got brought, even though I'm half German, you know, it got brought into broad relief that I was raised in this country and they were, they were raised in, you know, in Germany in the sense of some of them who knew as, as young people knew communism, but even just the social de democracy that Germany has become and is, it's just a very different way of thinking. So I would have these conversations like, where do you, where did you grow up and how do you, you're a lighting designer and you're freelance and how does that, <laughs> what does even, that even mean? Yeah. yeah. And um, I didn't realize just how, how hard it is to do that here when I was, I was pretty, not pretty like bright eyed and bushy tailed about being a lighting designer when I was, um, when I was there. And so I didn't, all the things I said about how easy it was going to be was probably wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, because you were still in school, so you hadn't yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but by probably wrong, I mean definitely wrong. Now that you're <laughs> being a lighting designer, but um, but but the fact is that you can do it, even though it's hard. Right. And that that's the thing that is um, that I think it was a little bit foreign to some of the to some of the conversations that I was having, which was interesting. How is it in Germany? Well, I don't really know how to phrase that because their their arts are more subsidized than they are here. Do they do they usually have lighting designers like that stay at a house or do they have freelance? Do you know? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's changed a lot because the model from Britain and from the United States has started to come there a little bit. Right. But in opera houses, and particularly in the opera, I'll just speak on the on the opera house I worked in because I I don't know if it was like that all over Germany. It seemed like it was, <clears throat> but there was um, Oberbeleuchter, which is the the essentially the lighting supervisor, who's definitely a designer. Like he knows design. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> but there was no lighting designer. So what would happen is there was a sonographer who who was the whole production designer and then there was the director and they would have enough time to just sit at the tech table even before any plot was put up and look at the set and say i'd like some light coming from stage left going across it should be in light blue and then the the <clears throat> lighting suit would call on the radio to somebody in the gallery and they'd go set up a light to do that wow and and then when they did that focus they would write it down on their card and that would be the beginning of the cards for those for that show right how did they know where to focus like i get it if you're focusing on a door and you you know shutter cut to the door frame but if it's a general wash what do they say like focus center left somewhere on the yeah. ground yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of very standardized shorthand um for all of the all of the lights and how to how to point them of where they go sometimes it had to do with the set sometimes it had to just do with the, with you know splitting up this the the space into areas but and i i in that big giant production big giant internship book that i brought back i brought printouts for those of them that had computerized their cards, I brought printouts for like 20 shows or something like that. Wow. Um, and uh, um, so like I remember, I still use some of the things that I remember because I was on the stage left. Is that right? 
I was on the stage right side. They call yeah. it my, my house left. I was on there and I so I focused a lot of the booms. And the way they talked about the boom light was really useful for me in the future. Like they talk about where it's where it hits and how it's cut and whether it's with or without the floor. Huh. And um, so uh -huh. I still talk about that. I still use those words translated to English when I'm focusing booms to this day. Well, those all make sense. Yeah. And and it's hmm. like it's and, and it, it's an easy shorthand way to, to put it on a on a card. And, you know, that way, like I've never really used it in that manner, but just talking to the focuser, mm -hmm. it's it's really easy for them to see what, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how it would work. And, um, and then they had these big sort of trusses with, for the booms, they had trusses with wheels on the back of them. And then you would roll them around like, um, like wheelbarrows <laughs> and, and, and set them into place. <laughs> oh, and then just stand them up and hang lights on them. No, there were already lights on them, you know, oh. just roll them over and set them up and plug them in. Okay. Nice. I mean, that cuts down on time you have to change, like just physically hanging the lights and wiring them. Right. Yeah. So. So now um, I, I mean, I see more of if that's the way that they're going to focus and design a show, why you would have so many different people in so many different locations. Yeah. Because you need, you don't waste time of the person running from, you know, the balcony down to above the yeah, stage in order to focus a light. House. I mean, it's a huge house, and so there's it, it's it's a bit of a maze, and to have to have that person running up and down at you know, and not in systems and not in any kind of order, it would mm -hmm. just be nearly impossible. It wouldn't be possible mm -hmm. you know, to do it to 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 do it that way. Plus, they couldn't memorize uh, all their lighting focuses. Like <laughs> that would be way too hard to memorize every light or at least half the lights yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um. And I, I, there, it was long enough of a time that it was so great because I was able to experience some. Uh, the Finnish National Opera came in as a guest artist or as a guest team, and there were enough people that didn't speak any English that I ended up as an intern. I ended up being like a translator and ended up sort of at a at a assistant lighting supervisor position. Um, and so I got to help really, really implement two shows that came through that. Um, and that was really uh, a wonderful experience. Um, and also I was talking about not knowing, not understanding the music as well. Well, one day early on in my time with the lighting department, I think it was the lighting supervisor go, we were premiering La, Tra La Traviata and he goes and sends me out to the Zitz probe. He's like, we're not going to be doing anything. You just sit out there and you listen. <laughs> and it was Christian Tielemann who was conducting, who has a very storied sort of reputation of being kind of a jerk, but um, <laughs> he is a good conductor. And he um, started out the, the overture string section of the overture and then stopped them and screamed at the third violinist from the right and played it again and I was like that guy's a jerk and then I was just you know getting beads of sweat on my forehead from how beautiful it was and I was <laughs> like oh that's what that guy does <laughs> I, I sort of had this secret thought that they just 
dance to the music. You know, <laughs> the conductors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all they do. It's good. <laughs> I love telling conductors that story. That's that, that, that that's fun. <laughs> They get paid to like stand up there, have a light shining on them, and then just dance. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, just, I can. Stage can managers see that. just stare at their script and send out a report at the end, right? Not very useful. Well, we call breaks. Ben says stage oh, managers, all breaks. we do are call breaks. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure people sign oh. in, call breaks. Ta da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then, and I had a, a really, a really amazing time. I got to know everybody and, um, about to the point where about 10 years later some Cornish students some fellow Cornish students and I um went to Berlin again uh it seems to be like every 10 years kind of thing but um, nice. uh we, we went to we went to we went to Berlin and we did uh underground theater where we rented we subletted uh a bar that somebody had transformed out of a hair salon <laughs> and had made and had made an had made some some success with their had some success with their bar by the way i apologize if it doesn't seem like i can speak english very well because when i'm talking about germany sometimes i think in german and that <laughs> so, <anyway>. understandable <laughs> but um they 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 had success they wanted to take the summer off so they subletted their underground bar to us to run. And so we would <laughs> a bunch of ran... Americans. Yeah. <laughs> Smart move. We had we had some other colleagues from Cornish that had become expatriates in Berlin. So that we had like people on the ground that could help us get this work this out. Okay. So um and and so we uh we would run we we would run the bar um, on the weekends to try and offset the cost of rent and then rehearse during the week. And then the idea was to have a little performance at the end of the summer. Um, mm-hmm. In the bar? In the bar. Okay, great. Yeah. And, and we, cho- <laughs> we chose the one week where the, everybody like goes to a vacation to have a performance. <laughs> <laughs> they do uh-huh. like their vacations over there, their holidays. <laughs> yes. So, but I mean, we still had this, we still had this really incredible time there. Um, and, uh, and I needed some lights. So I went to the, I went to the opera and I, and I came in and it was all the same people sitting around that break table. That is and so awesome. They're like, yeah, what do you need? You need some dimmers? What, you know? So they gave me, a, they gave me some stuff and, um, and they all recognized you and they're like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. I mean, except anyone that was not there when I was there or was new now, uh-huh. everyone, everyone recognized me. And then this past summer when Danielle and I went and Danielle did her study abroad there, I went back and I swear that I walked home and watched the sunrise again, because I sat with these guys for so long, the subway <laughs> stopped running <laughs> like it never stopped it was amazing um and uh, and i decided i mean it was my fault in one regard i could have taken a cab but i just wanted to walk back and kind of like experience Berlin baskin yeah yeah i, I probably would have done the exact same thing <laughs> yeah and then your foot would have hurt <laughs> so. oh that's so um, true good job twid <laughs> <laughs> 
Or she would have gotten her wallet stolen, which she did when we were in Germany one time. Oh no! <laughs> but yeah, so it was. It was this. It was really just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, I really. And then I did. I was able to bring Danielle back to see a show and show her around a little bit. Um, that, or have have my colleagues that I know there show her around a little bit in this in this space. That's really awesome. So yeah, I've yeah, always wanted just... to get maybe not an internship, but I would have. I would love to spend a, a semester or a season or something working in Germany, both to like learn, really learn the language, because I know it a little bit, but also just to to experience shows there. And I know people who've done it in London a number, number of times, but I don't really know anybody who, besides you, who's like gone to Germany and worked in Germany. Yeah. I, this is I, such an awesome experience. I'm, I feel very, very, very fortunate that it was just that the, uh, the right things sort of happened at the right in the right order at the right time it was sort of an essentially an accident that it all worked out <laughs> um but I, I i'll cherish it till the day i die and that book that i still have of information and i wrote you know fairly long bits of maybe kind of stream of consciousness uh writing about about all the conversations that i had with them and and you know fights i had with 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 certain personalities and all of that you know but how and, awesome uh, is that to look back on like 20 years later yeah yeah, yeah i mean how amazing. it's such a history right there in that book yeah and i'm still facebook friends with frank who is like this awesome surrealist light uh, electrician who works there and worked there for many years and he, he's always writing like awesome poetry on facebook <laughs> And uh, he probably, if I post this this podcast, he'll probably see it. So hi, Frank. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, he and I have kind of kept in touch, and and he always just just totally adores when I reach out when I'm in in um, uh, when I'm there, and so yeah, pretty awesome. Do you guys have any questions? I've just been running my mouth here. No, oh, this is an awesome story. <laughs> I kind of want you to like send us some of those, some of the things in your book, because I want to yeah. see like how they like did their focus. Or, I can you do know, that. The... Yeah, the next time I'm, I, uh, it's in, my, it's in my apartment in Brooklyn. But I, next time I'm there, I'll pull some out and show you. Because so the next time Cindy's so in cool. Brooklyn, she might be able to look at it too. But neither of you are in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> nope. And. Um, the other thing is that at the very end, I wanted to um, make um, food because I was really, uh, really appreciative of this time. And so I thought, well, I could make some Mexican food. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I was oh, thinking. God, yeah. <laughs> and I tell you, it is very, very hard to find the right ingredients to make Mexican food in Germany. At least it was at that time. Oh, we no, it, it was. Kirsten still has a hard time in Germany making Mexican food because they just, like, we couldn't find cilantro. It does not <laughs> yeah. exist in Europe. Yeah. And Kirsten even tried, because I was like, are we translating it wrong? She has, like, American to English and English to Spanish and German to Spanish, like, whatever. She has all kinds of translations because she speaks three languages and she couldn't find cilantro anywhere except in the Spanish book, which is still cilantro. <laughs> Yep, doesn't exist like, in we, Europe. Yeah. We need to make salsa. I need cilantro. <laughs> <laughs> I had very similar issues. And then <clears throat> I was um, 
I said, well, why don't you all, I mean, I have a very small apartment. I was staying, I was staying with a German rapper who I don't know how I found him, but I was sort of subletting his room. And um, I said, I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll just stuff everyone in there and you want to, you guys want to come and I'll cook. And, uh, (laughs) and I was also a little bit worried that they would they they would accept because it was not a big place. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, <laughs> how many people did you invite over? <laughs> but the some of the older people from um, the former DDR refused to go because I lived because of I location. Lived, I lived in the east part of Berlin, and they say they said I I'm never going to go there again. Wow. And uh, that really knocked me over, you know, that that kind of feelings were still that strong, just about the location. Um, That and it's in your own city. Like they didn't have to. That would be like me saying I'm not going to North Long Beach. Like it's right there. Yep, exactly. So but it um, was completely different, you know. Yeah. So I cooked the meal at the opera. Uh whether or not it was any good is a totally different question. <laughs> but did you find refried beans and tortillas? Um, I found some tortillas and I okay. found some really bad refried beans, but I think I ended up using some wacky like pesto thing to try to make <laughs> interesting idea. It was not okay. great. <laughs> I, was, I had to be a little creative. <laughs> That's awesome. Stacy and I, when we were in London, we were living there with a whole bunch of people from Iowa. Um, had no and experience that it was very yeah. different. We were expecting Londoners and we got Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> I can say that. I'm like currently like five miles from Iowa. But so we were over there during uh, Cinco de Mayo. And so we were like, well, we have to make Mexican food. And by this point, we had you know gotten to know everybody in the house. So we were like, we are going to make Mexican food for everybody in the house and there were a couple people there were a couple people that like were in San Diego and stuff so like all of us that like knew how to celebrate um but it took us forever we went to like five different stores just trying to get stuff to make like guacamole and burritos or whatever because it was so ridiculous (laughs) and um yeah I don't know how good it was either I mean it was okay but it was just but very so many people like we fed the entire house of like 50 people Cindy and I like shopped and cooked all day long because there was just four burners trying to make burritos and fajitas and everything on four burners uh and it was a party and everybody thought it was great fun and we were like oh thank god some some mexican food but we could like i I feel like we couldn't find chips and so the only chips we could find were like cool ranch chips instead of like actual tortilla chips you know it was just like this crazy mixture of stuff but I, i feel that that everyone was appreciative but that they might have lied about how much they enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but now, like... we're talking about Iowans whose favorite Mexican food is Taco Bell. So it's yeah, possible I mean, like, it was really I, good. I, I, I had to lie a little bit about how much I enjoyed the food I was eating too. So it was not great. <laughs> but it was probably different. It was probably different than anything they'd ever had. So yeah. No, you know, they, they, they had nothing they, to compare to. It. And remembered it. I talked. We talked about it when I was there this past year. <laughs> See, um, and really they remembered awesome. it. So, yeah. Whether they remembered liking it or not, who knows? But they remembered that's you a made it. Story, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, 
and uh, what else? Um, I I I um, also learned a lot about just about the etiquette of opera um, by by having done that. Um, probably not enough, but I did learn, you know, because once I was standing, we were doing Frau and a Schatten, and there there was the there were these big round. Uh, walls that turned around on on the turntable and they had doors come they had doors coming out of them and then steps coming down off of the off of platforms i believe inside of them and this big uh soprano was walking down those stairs and i didn't put my hand out to help her down the stairs and i got tackled by stagehands out of the way <laughs> so that she could be helped down the stairs <laughs> and I was like, oh right <laughs> <laughs> it is so. it is and i'm sure it's even more different in germany but uh that was one of the big things and i'm still learning like i kind of got chewed out in portland for one thing that i did you know that that specific conductor didn't like you know but it's it's a very different cultural thing, I think, and, and very different like hierarchy and just like expectations than working in musical theater and, and straight shows working in opera. And I can imagine working in opera in Germany would be like, or Italy would be completely different. Yeah. Or yeah, much Americans, more structured. Americans are much more relaxed anyways. Yeah. 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 Then, and the, the, Christian Tillemann, the resident conductor, would come up after the show was down. He would come up, run up on stage. The stage managers would have to hand him a giant bottle of a giant glass of beer, cold beer. He would down it before he went on stage and bowed. Wow, that's that, intense. That was, that that's is, a lot that of beer. Cold, that was it was a lot. I remember thinking exactly that. I was like, that's a lot of beer. <laughs> you just downed all of that and it was quick because you gotta go. <laughs> Because you gotta go bow. <laughs> yeah. Especially after wow. just conducting an entire opera where he's probably hungry, nervous, sweating, tired, and then he just drank alcohol. I guess by the time he I got know. off stage, it probably would have hit. But like at that time, he's like, oh God, that was so refreshing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and what else? The. So there were a lot of little traditional. I loved also the language in the building because there was the mostly the singers were speaking English to each other because they were all international from different places. But mm -hmm. the, you know, the ballet, all the ballet dancers spoke French with each other for the most part. There was German happening. Sometimes you'd hear some Russian. It was there was always it was like a very metropolitan building. <laughs> and I, I feel that. like it kind of well from what I hear still is I have a friend that I went to undergrad with who is well has been in in Berlin now for like four years working and she said she was so excited when she went over there to to work at the company because she thought she was going to learn German and she was like and almost everyone just speaks in English so she was like I'm yeah. not learning hardly any German her sons are you know but she was like everyone most everyone you know will speak English to her I I would say Berlin is one of the worst places in the world to, to learn German Right, because everyone speaks so many other languages. I, our first, our first day there at the hotel, I start. I ordered, I ordered breakfast in German, and they stumbled on on responding, and I was like, "What's wrong?" And the waiter, the bartender, and the maitre d were um, Irish 
Australian and like from South Africa. Huh. <laughs> so, so did they were just expected to speak English. Yeah, they would just much rather speak English. But how did they so. all Berlin is such an interesting place to be so divided by war for a number of years, even after the war ended, and yet it's still a place that everybody goes to and wants to live and be a part of. That's that's just amazing. Well, it has always been an incredible center for art. Mm-hmm. And, and it was an incredible center for art in the East part, in the DDR as well. If you think about the Schiller Theater and you think about all mm-hmm. the theater that was happening there, and, um, you know, some of the things I was told by <clears throat> by my colleagues there um, that, you know, the theater was a place that they felt safe. And mm-hmm. and I had one person told me that when he worked at the Schiller Theater, that there was just, that was the only building that he felt he could be himself huh. in that whole regime. So, you know, there was a lot of art going on. There was there was expression happening through art it, it and and in the 20s it was happening you know i mean this, mm-hmm. this has yeah. been a metropolitan cabaret <laughs> for a long time and i think it just it it's just more powerful than war mm-hmm. that's so. a good way to put it well I, I know when i studied about um wagner and bayreuth that Hitler was a huge fan of Wagner and Bayreuth, his his opera house. And if you were working there, even if you were gay or Jewish or anything, you kind of got a pass because you were working in Bayreuth, which is pretty impressive that an opera house was kind of being ignored over the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah, the master electrician or the, the, the lighting supervisor when I was... Um, when I was there was the resident lighting designer at Bayreuth in the summers. Wow. That's awesome. That's still a place yeah. I really want to go to. I haven't made it there yet, but I know we, yeah. it was just too far out of the way for us to get to when we were in um, Munich. Cause we were only there a couple of days and it's not really close to anything. Right. So it was pretty awesome. I, I, I think it would be, um, a great cherry on the end of an awesome life and career if I could one day design a show that goes into that place. <laughs> that would be amazing. And see if the same old guys are still sitting around the break table. Probably yeah, will well, be. I, they will not all admit that they're old. They, I bet you they will be there. <laughs> You're like, no, I, I met you 30 years ago. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be a really cool icing on the cake. Yeah. I, I feel like I saw a show there, and I can't remember if that's where I saw Flittermouse or Onyegin, because I saw, I think I saw a show at both opera houses the last time I was in Berlin, but... Well, if you saw Flittermouse, I'll, I'll, I can tell you if you saw it there, was this last act in a spaceship? <laughs> no, Flittermouse was, it was this huge, it was on a turntable, it was a huge set of stairs with an elevator in the middle on a turntable and there were scenes where like Adele or whoever would get in the elevator and would just ride the elevator up and down and we couldn't figure out why the hell she was riding the elevator up and down I think just because they had an elevator and They're sometimes like, the turntable we spent would... hours making this work you ride that thing <laughs> yeah but uh 
yeah and I knew because I had just done fighter mouse so I knew the show and you know I didn't have to read the super titles but I was just always like why are they on the stairs and why are they in the elevator and why did they like get out of the elevator it was really weird but what did the building what did the building do you remember what the building looked like I can't remember now no because it twin failure why did we send you to Germany for whatever time well because I feel like it was my second day over there yeah. so we still had like jet lag and you know it was either it was either Komisch or Opa which is like Komisch or Opa means like the funny opera and then or it's Unterden in Linden which is the big old building that looks like the grand opera house you know and then or it was Deutsche Opa Berlin which looks like a, a very boxy glass building from 1961 no I don't think it was that one I, you know I have it written down at home I have to find my notebook but yeah so, but yeah, I know I saw, we saw a couple shows there. Why couldn't you? Or you know, we were trying to hit up as many theaters as we could, but you should have seen a spaceship. No, I didn't see the spaceship though. <laughs> That's the one Dang that Danielle it. and I saw. <laughs> <laughs> but this was also, I was in college, so this was ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, two thousand and six, thirteen or fourteen yeah, 13. years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. Did so who see, knows? Maybe they've changed what it by was then. The other show, all the other. Onyegin, so but I think now that I remember, it's we also saw a Macbeth because we fell asleep through the end of Macbeth because we literally like landed <laughs> and then went and saw a show that night and it was so long and it was an evening performance that Caitlin and I like passed out on hour number three. So, but that was Macbeth, I think, that we, we fell asleep on. Well, and the, the time we were there um, doing crazy, weird underground show, underground theater, I went and saw La Traviata. At the, opera, yeah. at the opera, the one that we had premiered. So oh, awesome. Was, yeah. So I was like, oh, look, it looks pretty good. Looks like that focus is right. That one is right. <laughs> <laughs> That's they awesome, didn't mess though. anything up over there. <laughs> <laughs> Not like I would remember it, but I was just joking. You know, like, oh, look, I, I remember we, we would use those there. It seems like they've done most of the same stuff, you know. <laughs> The other thing, I'll, maybe we can wrap wrap up Germany by saying, um, for those of you technical minded out there, one of the things that blew me away was I finally understood voltage by working there because we were lighting up these giant 10k Fresnels, and I Jesus. was like, how is it that how is it that we can do this? And the cables aren't seven feet in diameter, <laughs> and 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 then they were like, oh, because there's higher voltage and less amps. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I still don't words, know if I'd be able to explain in, it. In, in in other words, to do more work with higher voltage, it's it's gonna be able to essentially use less amps and heat up the cable more less, and so you can have thinner cable to do more work with with the higher voltage. And so it was the first time by schlepping cable that I was like. This is great. This this would be like so thick in the United States because we only have 110 volts. <laughs> oh right. And what are they? 220. Oh, they're probably 220. They're 220. Yeah, they're <laughs> 220. And the other thing is, the entire proscenium is laced with fluorescent tubes, and they dim really well. And I remembered huh. from my you know fledgling lighting design career in the United States that we could never get. Fluorescence to dim. To, to dim right, like at 30%, yeah. they would just pop out. Or, yeah, yeah flash. They, they dim beautifully, and I took, like, 
two thirds of my internship trying to figure out why they were so different. <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't a hundred percent know, but I think it has to do with the fact that their um, electricity Hertz is different. It's 50 cycles instead of, uh, instead of 60. Uh, and so they can the take ballast, it down lower without it flashing. I guess somehow the ballasts like that better. Um, the electronic ballasts that go figure. I don't know. Don't understand, <laughs> that, but that, sweet. That, that was the explanation I was given. <laughs> so <laughs> they were yeah, probably looking at you awful. like weird Americans. What did you do to power to mess it up? <laughs> so, and there so, was at the sorry. time, there was a bunch of different plugs for different size cables, different amperages. So I had to learn all these German terms for different plugs and remember what they were and you use them at the right time and plug them in the right way. And so a lot of my forms that I filled out were about the different plugs. Well, that's completely different than how we do it here. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to see those yeah. pictures too, because i that's awesome. Yeah, we'll go through my book someday. That'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> we'll post pictures about it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be really cool. Well, we're, I know we are like hoping to talk about other things, but I think we spent our entire hour talking about Germany. Oh, okay. That's we're going to have to have you on again because we wanted to talk about your workflow in opera and how we were talking about this a little bit before, how, you know, in opera, we like tech and put up an entire show in like four days. Whereas, you know, Stacy, who does not opera, has like two and a half weeks to tech a show. Yeah, and just the difference me. between it. But um, yeah, so by way of a little teaser, I hope to, to be able to talk about um, how I, when I write my cue list, I figured out a way to with some help of others, I've figured out a way to put it right into the light board. And then by the time we're queuing, the queues, even though there's no changes in the lights queues yet, are already already in the board. And so that way things move faster when we're trying to make queues. Ooh, I do want to learn about that. Okay, we'll have to bring you on for a third time to the podcast <laughs> so we can learn this information. <laughs> we're just like, every two months, we'll just have T back on the podcast. <laughs> like... Whatever yeah, but in between <laughs> time, T sends us other people, like his wife or the entire production team of Madam <laughs> That's Butterfly. True. Or, have you said he just sent you another list of people or a couple people to talk to? Somebody, at, yeah, Seattle rep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is very true. So, I, so I we're hiring T to, to help market for us. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed. I enjoyed talking to you guys. So whether or not you're recording it, give me a call. <laughs> This is actually what we do just to make Cindy feel like she has friends. We don't actually record any of this. We just I was going to say, I was just going to start wearing a recorder every time I worked with them. And then we'll just like have podcasts lined up like during tech week and stuff. Love it. <laughs> then you'd have to figure out how to buy a recorder and make it work. <laughs> well, that's true. And we have to put in there that, um, the magical tech dog that is Marley. You know, oh, Marley. Yes, can. yes. <laughs> I already have a couple pictures I've chosen from your Facebook, so he's definitely going to be in there because anytime anyone has a dog, Marley's I have a G. A... She, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and everybody's she, male. And My she, dog's she, a male. Everybody's male. <laughs> she, she tends to fall asleep whenever there's musical theater happening, but she barks at, at follow spots. <laughs> Good. Good puppy. Keep them in line. Marley's, okay, we'll do another podcast about Marley Just the opera Marley. dog then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have two more podcasts set up already. Yeah, we're doing good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us again. Um 
my favorite part is, and nobody else gets to see this. Well, Stacy and I took pictures that T's sitting in his car on the side uh, of a road right now I in are, Seattle. I already recording posted the it. Podcast. I, so, po- I just posted it. Sorry, T's what a little happened? dark, but Stacy took I, a picture and posted it. Oh. <laughs> of you sitting in your car? Because I was like, yeah, first time we've done a podcast with someone in their car. <laughs> well, hopefully, it, like the sound isn't all echoey and bad, but I think it was fine. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Twins usually well, echoey and quiet. She just got new headsets, which took two days to figure out how to make them work. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But until I break them again. But yep. thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck. You're, uh, you're working on Steve Jobs, the opera right now at Seattle. Yeah, yeah I'm so, the ALD for that um, with Vita, who, who, who yes. is a scenic designer who you've had on your podcast. Yeah, they, um, the pictures she's posted look really cool. I hope one day yeah. to see that show. Yeah, you should come to Seattle. You're not that far away. Yes, oh, we drove up to Portland. It was like two days of driving. I mean, <laughs> I'm in tech right now. Didn't you guys hear? It takes like three weeks for me to get through this. <laughs> yeah, well, true. we do a lot of prep in opera. So we're not going into tech until February, I think, uh, 20, no, February 15th. Man, you got so, weeks away. Yeah, lots of prep happening. It's yeah. a big show. We just wait till tech to do all that. Exactly. <laughs> we can. I guess it is a good way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't plan ahead That's apparently really very well. <laughs> <laughs> now, if oh, only you can terrible. get sixty electricians to focus your lights during tech, then you'll be good. I think good. we may have maybe a hundred lights, so it'd be pretty fast. <laughs> Everybody get a light done. Minutes. <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. And I'll keep you updated on what if I find anything else out about um, our next show together. Awesome, thank you. Yay! Thanks, T. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.